Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're into extra time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Clay Wilson. Athletes and social media. It's a combination giving sports fans increasingly more access to and information about the world's best sports people. It's also a combination that comes with pitfalls, as England cricketer Ollie Robinson has very acutely discovered. Robinson has been suspended from the England team and an investigation is underway after the revelation of racist and sexist tweets he made eight years ago. Adding to the embarrassment, the revelations coincided with the biggest moment of his career, day one of his test debut at Lords against New Zealand. On the biggest day of my career so far, I'm embarrassed by the racist and sexist tweets I posted over eight years ago, which have today become public. I want to make it clear that I'm not racist and I'm not sexist. I deeply regret my actions and I'm ashamed of making such remarks. I was thoughtless and irresponsible, and regardless of my state of mind at the time, my actions were inexcusable. Since that period, I've matured as a person and fully regret the, t- regret the tweets. Today should be about my efforts on the field and the pride of making my test debut for England, but my thoughtless behaviour in the past has tarnished this. Over the past few years, I've worked hard to turn my life around. I would like to unreservedly apologise to anyone I've offended, my teammates and the game as a whole in what has been a day of action and awareness in combating discrimination from our sport. I will continue to educate myself, look for advice and work with the support network that is available to me to learn more about getting better in this area. I'm sorry and I've certainly learned my lesson today. So should athletes be held accountable for something they did so long ago? Is punishing them right or wrong? And what are the lessons for aspiring sports people when it comes to social media? Joining me now to discuss further are Stuff Sports, Zoe George and RNZ sports columnist Hamish Bidwell. Well, Zoe, I'll come to you first. This Ollie Robertson saga has really captured the attention of so many people. A lot has been said and written over the past week. What have you made of the way this story has developed in the sort of seven or eight days since it came out? Yeah, I'm really glad that actually the ECB are taking proactive steps around this and have stood him down. Um, The tweets are, to be quite honest, quite vile. Um, In some of them, he describes performing a sex act on an unconscious woman. You know, that's tantamount to rape. There are uh, tweets that target those with disabilities, the Muslim community. Um, You know, there's homophobic tweets as well. And I'm sorry, but the whole I'm young and dumb excuse doesn't wash with me. It doesn't matter if you're 19, 39 or 99, uh, you do not say those things or do those things. So I'm really glad that the ECB are doing what they're doing. Um, And he has apologised, which is a really great first step. Mm. And I would like him to go a step further and donate his match fee from his very first test to the UK Paralympics team, to Women's Refuge and to the mosque, and then become an advocate for these groups and understand the damage that he's actually caused. I don't think he should have ongoing repercussions. I don't think he should lose his career over this. 
but it's absolutely a learning opportunity, not only for him and for the ECB, but also for the wider cricket community and sports community who have allowed rhetoric like this to happen and occur uh, and continue to occur. So Hamish, Zoe touched on there the young and dumb theory that these things happened eight years ago when he was an 18-year-old man. Where do you stand in terms of accountability for someone that old and, and saying those things and where he is now? Uh, it's interesting. I wasn't across what he tweeted until we started, just before we started taping, and, uh, and Zoe explained the magnitude of the stuff. I mean, one of the situations here was timing. So the ECB, the England Cricket Board, made a big show of pretending they were inclusive and diverse and all that before play, the first eight Lords started. Mm. And then these tweets surface, and um, there's a belief that there's been a bit of muckraking, that someone in Australia has sat on these tweets and then exposed them um, to destabilise the England team. It's a red herring. And it just as there's a thing about talent often excusing behaviour. Um, you know, he's a good bloke. He's learned from his lessons. You know, look how well he played. Let's give him a second chance. That's all cobblers. Vile is vile. And what he says is utterly offensive. So what's the appropriate punishment? Zoe said there, like, you know, he's been obviously been suspended and most people don't want to see sort of it to perhaps ruin his career, but but what is the appropriate level of penalty for someone like career? this? No, why, why, why shouldn't it? You know, Zoe talked about giving, you know, donating his match fee. The punishment is not to play. You're not fit to represent the country, to wear the jersey, to don the cap. You know, you've had a chance to be a decent citizen. You've declined that chance. Therefore, you don't get to play. That's the ultimate deterrent. Mm. When we talk about you know punishment and deterrence, though, we still have sports bodies who are picking men who have conducted violent acts against women, physical violent acts against women, who are still representing and playing in many of our sports teams. So you know we need to not allow them to play too. So if he doesn't get to play because he tweeted something awful and horrible, great, okay, that's fine. But we need to have consistency across the board. The ECB say they're investigating. What do we expect that investigation to include? And if they do find that he's not that person, I mean, is that something that, that should perhaps be in his favour? Because, yes, it doesn't condone what he said back then at all. It's, I think most people, any um, decent person would agree that there's, mm. it's not OK. Mm. But do you give him some credit to be a changed person in any way? Well, he's also been stood down from numerous county teams over the years as well for inappropriate behaviour. So this is not a new pattern of behaviour yeah, for sure. him. Uh, but I think that, yes, this is a really great opportunity for growth, for learning, um, for a bit of restorative justice. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's a re- it really is. I know it's a really tough conversation that we're having, but we need to talk about our broader culture and, and what we think is okay and acceptable. Uh, and so I would like to see him play. I mean, he did play very, very well the other day, but, you know, that was overshadowed by these awful, vile, disgusting tweets, and, and actually rightly so. Um, one of the things that struck me, Hamish, is just the sheer attention the story's received. And regardless of whether the punishment's appropriate or not or anything of that nature, um, there's been a lot of attention given to someone who said these horrible things and the fact that they're not okay. Is that, at the very least, a, a good thing to come out of this, that, that it's getting a lot of attention? It's a hard one. I'll, I'll admit that I'm jaundiced on some of the stuff. Um, mm. Having dealt with athletes professionally and seen them at close quarters, I know that they're not the people that they're portrayed as. I know they're not the people they'd like to pretend they are. Um, and so I, there's a part of me that really wants athletes to get what's coming to them. 
there's some really grubby behaviour out there. We treat it in the media like dirt a lot of the time. I bring that on myself because I'm a bit combative, not sort of um, uh, personally. I don't in an interview situation. I don't have a go at people, but I'm quite forthright in print. Um, you have to be to be heard because there's so much media out there, social or otherwise, that to be noticed. You have to sort of differentiate yourself. So I, I want people to know athletes as they are. I want athletes to be exposed. I don't believe that education, give me a break. I'm not the greatest person in the world, but I know how to treat people well. Is that a big, am, I, am I amazing for that? Do you know what I mean? I care for people. I want them to be happy. I think we deserve an equal chance. So these aren't crazy ideas. This is just human nature. And yet we excuse athletes. We say, oh, he's young. He needs to learn. They should know these things. It's just the basic of being a human being. Uh, I had an instance recently where I wrote about my experience of um, of sexual harassment and gender violence in sport. Can I and, just come in? That was horrific. I nearly died when I read that. I, you were really brave to do that. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an important subject, and I actually got um, some amazing feedback from a whole range of people. But one of the messages that I got um, was was quite frankly quite vile and um, quite threatening and calling me stupid. And that what's this got to do with sport? and why don't I just go and report a match report because this isn't real sports journalism. Anyway, normally I don't give time and energy or um, emotional labour to these types of people, but I thought I'd give him five minutes, so I Googled him and I found him. Anyway, turns out he was a Year 13 student at a boys' school from the South Island, uh, and I ended up calling the principal and being like, hello, uh, and having a yarn to them about the impact of uh, those words. It turns out he is a very talented young cricketer. Uh, and um, anyway, so the principal made him ring me and apologise for his language and behaviour. And I just kind of said to him, so why did you think that it was okay to say something like that to me? And do you have a mum? Do you have a sister? Do you have aunties? Do you have grandmas? You know, uh, and do you think it's okay to say that type of stuff to them and about them? And then I asked him what his, what he's learned from this uh, opportunity. Uh, and I, And we had a really fantastic conversation, and he was apologetic, but I really hope that having that conversation with me has helped change his life. And I didn't want to embarrass him or anything like that, but I get misogynistic, awful messages all the time, and I have to deal with them. And so I want to say to those who are posting these messages, please, please think Think about it before you push send. Doesn't matter if it's on email, doesn't matter if it's on Twitter, whatever, because it does have an impact. It really does. Have, have we always been this angry as a society? Have we always hated people this much? Have we always wanted to tell them how much we dislike them? I, I don't recall this growing up, but it seems to be a function of normal society now that if you're outraged, you're entitled to tell people anonymously or otherwise. It's, mm. it's, it's ghastly. And I just think more broadly, we need to just, Try and be kinder to each other. Like, how hard is that? I'm not, I'm not asking for a miracle. Just, just treat people with a bit of kindness, a bit of decency. Like you say, you've got a sister, you've got a mother. Think, how would they feel? Mm. So why are, you, why are you laying this down on me? Yeah, it's, you know, I think as well, though, one of the things that I've been thinking about, Ollie, uh, and him being stood down by the ECB, I really hope that they are wrapping around support for him as well, because he's going to be getting it now, too, or not on so, not just on social media. Uh, and the research out um, from here in New Zealand actually found, you know, that because of uh, about 50% of athletes, elite athletes are struggling with fatigue, and social media is really contributing to that fatigue uh, and to their anxiety. Something like 80 
80% of female athletes say that social media is the number one pressure uh, to conform to traditional feminine body ideals and that about 75% feel that it has a detrimental impact on their health and well-being including eating disorders and uh, menstruation problems. 54% say uh, that they have more pressure to perform from social media than they do from their coaches. So it's also athletes who are facing really tough times on social media, not just athletes saying and doing really dumb stuff, but it's it's also the flip side as well. So I, I think you're right, Hamish, we need to be kinder to each other and we need to be considerate and really think about what we're posting, why we're posting it and what kind of response we're going to get. So what's the... What's the well, we talked about this a little bit on last week's show in relation to Naomi Osaka mm. and the fact that sometimes you say things as an athlete that put you under the spotlight, that create scrutiny upon you that you don't wish for and you don't like. And then it's, oh, well, so-and-so's, you know, it's doing it hard or doing it tough, you know, let's lay off. I, I want to be kind to people, but when these athletes are offensive or they make fools of themselves, they're entitled to be criticised and they immediately when they are, play the mental health card and we all have to stand back at 10 paces and say, oh, I didn't mean it. I'm very sorry for you. But they need to think before they act. Mm. And if behaviours are going to change, then there has to be some scrutiny. We have to be able to criticise people and punish people who do the wrong thing. So, I mean, obviously the key message out of all of this is that it's simply not okay to say and put out these kind of things. I mean, that's, that's a very important lesson for everyone from this is that these things are simply not okay. But in terms of athletes and social media, what's the lesson for them in terms of how they're using it, how they will use it um, as aspiring athletes? Should they simply put it away until they're, you know, quote unquote, old enough and mature enough to to have um, views on the world? What should athletes take out of this in terms of social media and how they're using it or how they will use it? I didn't get on social media. I got on social media because on a previous employer um, – wanted me to, and they made it very clear that I needed to. Um, but I did that as an adult. Do you know what I mean? I was, yeah. I don't know, nearly, nearly 40 perhaps. Do you know what I mean? And so that gives you a perspective. Um, did I tweet some daft things when I started? Sure, but I wasn't like, you know, going into bat on all sorts of social issues or anything like that. I would give updates on hamstring injuries and team selections and who's training today and that kind of stuff because, yes, it's a valuable tool. Yes, people like the information but I kept it, as far as I could anyway, utterly professional. This is my work life. This is an account that expresses some information about what I do for a job, but you won't get anything about me because I'm not here. This so is my work thing. Are athletes being told that? I guess that's the thing, you know, like are athletes being, when they're coming into this profession or into this world, are they being told to maybe keep it to those sort of things and then you avoid anything like this altogether? Well, that well their sense. agents and their management staff and the team – Minders are negligent if they're not being told that because these people are actually making a living off giving media advice. And if they're not giving it appropriately, <laughs> then they're not very good, are they? The, the thing is, though, social media can be a really good platform. And, you know, it's if we talk about the broader um, structure of sport as well, women are reliant, sportswomen are actually reliant on sponsorship, advertising, that type of thing uh, from social media because they don't get paid the same in, in sport. Uh, and so I think we should look at 
that start looking at those things too so that they can um, start paying them properly so they don't have to be 100% reliant or, or 50% reliant. It's using on it in the right way. Using right? it in the right way, right? Um, where they're being celebrated that, you know, but we shouldn't have to force athletes to use social media if they don't want to. I personally try not to engage too much with social media. Um, I like to follow people and see what they're up to, particularly our, our Olympians as we're heading um, into the Olympics. I know that Instagram, um, they held, Instagram, Facebook held a session for Olympic athletes recently to talk about um, safety, new safety protocols and that type of thing to keep them safe. So that's really great. Yeah, so to go back to the start of this discussion and, and Ollie Robinson, um, before he's picked, the, the, the powers that be, the ECB, need to go through things like his social media um, platforms and see what sort of a person he is and what he's done in the past because these things will follow you. You won't erase them. They will come back. Mm. So before someone's selected in this day to- and age, you know, this, it's not about runs and wickets. It's about the overall person. And so mm. the people who are picking people need to make sure that this person is going to reflect the image that they want reflected because you won't have this stuff. So they should have done the due diligence. Well, this situation has also grabbed the interest of academics. Felicity Reid spoke to AUT senior lecturer and assistant professor of marketing, Jessica Vrindenberg, to get her take. In a way, I think this is actually sort of an interesting evolution of what has previously been more of a space around kind of athlete scandals and something happening, you know, an athlete acting out. But now this sort of unearthing of past offensive tweet has become a bit of a storyline in particular for Uh, sort of a generation of athletes that were raised with social media accounts and the way that they communicate sort of any thought that comes to mind through those social media accounts. And now we're seeing as they sort of enter the pro sport sort of realm that this is now becoming sort of a new iteration of of sort of scandal. Seen similar examples of of other athletes that said something when they were younger. They've they've obviously hopefully matured since then. If it was sort of a, a once off communication from eight years ago that has been learned from, apologize for, etc. You could argue there might be less relevance, but these sorts of patterns, if there is a pattern, are potentially more concerning. Robinson was allowed to continue playing, but after the match was dropped from the England team, while an investigation takes place. Mm. What do you make of the way England cricket have handled it? So I think in this instance, showing that they're taking this seriously by actually undergoing an investigation, potentially setting a bit of a a precedent or an example for others as maybe even a a warning of sorts to be careful of these sorts of behaviours in the future. Research also suggests that in order to corroborate the authenticity of words, say an an apology, behaviours and actions that actually cost the organisation something and some sort of personal sacrifice or willingness to incur a personal cost are more of an authentic signal of this sort of remorse. So I think in this case, showing that is is potentially something that has come into the mix. What are the main lessons for other athletes moving forward from this? Social media can really be sort of this double-edged sword. It really can be an essential brand building tool, especially for an upcoming professional athlete, but it can be precarious as well for this reason. So I think for up-and-coming athletes and those that are potentially uh, guiding them and leading them, this and others similar to the story should be potentially a precautionary tale in terms of a bit of a teaching opportunity before they're in the public eye and spotlight in terms of how to engage on social media, but also to really understand the roots of why it's not necessarily appropriate to send those sorts of messages. And also for athletes to really yeah, take a look at their, their social media history 
like the governing bodies, the sponsoring brands, they're also now looking more closely at these sort of social media histories and if there is anything that can potentially get the athlete and as a result them in, in a bit of hot water as well. from Andre Sinek. They've been great rivals down the years. Great friends as well. And Mahe Drysdale still heads for home. Sinek will pursue him all the way. What an Olympic Games it is turning out to be for New Zealand here as Mahe Drysdale comes up to the line ahead of Andre Sinek. It's gold, New Zealand. It's silver, Czech Republic. Two-time Olympic rowing champion and five-time world champion Mahe Drysdale has called time on his competitive career. The 42-year-old dominated the single skulls for over a decade, winning gold medals at the 2012 London Olympics and the 2016 Rio Games. He had hoped his swan song would be in Tokyo, but the writing appeared on the wall when he was beaten by Tauranga's Jordan Parry at the national trials. Drysdale told sports editor Stephen Hewson it seems his body knew time was up and while he's been denied a fairy tale finish, he's immensely proud of what he's achieved. I've known that I was going to retire this year, um, probably for about the last five years, but um, I thought I was going to retire in uh, August last year with uh, obviously the um, Tokyo Olympics was supposed to be finished then. So, you know, I, I guess finishing rowing was, was always expected. Um, it just just was uh the question was kind of when um so you know it, it became pretty clear uh last saturday um we, we had a racing series and uh decided after that that last race that that, that was it had you sensed though that that saturday was going to be it that you weren't going to get to tokyo uh well i, I knew that uh that was my last opportunity to prove myself um and you know i i knew what I had to do to, to get to Tokyo and, and you know, I, I hadn't done it. And, you know, that was uh, a, a pretty easy decision. And I literally, you know, crossed the line and I was like, that's my last race. So that was a, a, a good finale. And, um, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that I saw it through because uh, earlier in the year, I you know, well, I, I, start, I started thinking about retirement at about Christmas with uh, trying to come back from injury and, um you know, then at the the sort of nationals and trials, I wasn't prepared to uh, walk away then because I, I still felt like there were some unanswered questions, um, and you know, I felt like I answered those. I, I managed to overcome my injuries and uh, get back into a very um, good spot, and you know, it was a a very close um, run thing, and you know, it, it could have gone my way, but it didn't, and um, you know, I was I was very comfortable at that moment that that uh, it was over. Is it difficult to say I'm retiring or has it come as a relief? Um, no, I don't think I don't think it was difficult um, saying that I'm retiring. Um, you know, it was something I was prepared for and, and ready for this year. And, you know, as I say, it's, I've pretty much lived sort of day to day, week to week, um, you know, knowing that, that it could end any point. If, if I got one more injury, I was, I was done. So, you know, that was, <coughs> that was not hard going and facing the athletes um you know it, it wasn't it wasn't hard it's, it's what I wanted to do but um emotionally it was uh it was yeah very very tough and you know that's it's been such a massive part of my life it's 
shaped me and who I am. Um, you know, I'm so appreciative of everything it's given me, and and you know to to see your teammates and and you know tell them that you're not going to be there um, every day is is uh, you know really really tough. And what was the reaction for, that you got? <clears throat> oh, they're amazing. You know, um, just yeah, it was. Yeah, there's a, a lot of tears, I think, um, mostly from me, but it's really just a reflective thing of, you know, you, you just remember back of, you know, everything you've been through together and, um, you know, what you've what you've achieved as a, as a team. And, and I'm very proud to be, you know, a, a member of, you know, New Zealand's, you know, most successful rowing team um, ever. You know, it's we've had, you know, different Olympics and world championships that we've set records and then reset records and um you know it's, it's been fantastic uh you know right back to that moment in in Gifu in Japan in 2005 which you know was my first um first uh gold medal and um you know we delivered uh four gold medals in um in the space of 45 minutes so you know I've, I've been involved in in some of the you know greatest greatest moments in the sport and um you know it, it's very hard to um, I guess draw a draw a line and say, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, only going to be there from a sideline, supporting from from here on in. Can you comprehend rowing not being in your life from here um, on? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, you know, I guess uh, I'm a very uh, focused person. You know, I've I've you know been completely focused on Tokyo. Uh, you know, and you know people have asked a number of times and. Sure, I've thought about it, um, but there's there's nothing yet that I've said. You know, that is that is my passion. That is um, what I'm going to do for sure. Um, so, you know, that's that's really the exciting part over the next few months. I'm really looking forward to exploring some of those options. You know, I've got uh, one of my mates is an electrician. I'd love to go and you know basically be an apprentice for a couple of days. Um, go, you know, go help build a house. Go milk some cows. Um, you know, things. Things that you know potentially they're not even what I see myself doing, but um, just to have those experiences and and you know try to try to get a gauge on on you know what what really motivates me and um, you know what my passion is because you know I I absolutely love the sport, um, but you know coaching I don't think is is for me. So you know I've got I've got to find something that that really uh, you know gets me out of bed every morning. And that was Mahe Drysdale speaking with Stephen Hewson. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Zoe George and Hamish Bidwell. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you'd like. That helps us a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Clay Wilson. Kakite anō. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.